This is First Contact, stories of the call center. Brought to you by Noble Biz, your one-stop shop for all your contact center needs, both carrier and software. Each show, we talk to industry leaders on how they got their start in the call center industry, because let's be honest, it's not a dream job. Find all our episodes, you can go to our website, that's www.nobelbiz.com. Hit subscribe on our YouTube channel, or follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify for future episodes. So my guest, Kathy Karabetsos, is one of the most established women in the contact center industry. She's the co-founder, president, and CEO of QCSS, Quality Customer Service and Sales. Best call center on earth since 1991. A pioneer of the virtual call center. Host of Go Big or Go Broke podcast. And most importantly and impressively, a mother of seven. Kathy, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. It is absolutely my pleasure. Thanks so much for coming out today. Yeah, absolutely. We're happy to be here. And obviously, right now, when we talk about why we're here and we wanted to connect with you is we want to connect around how did you get into the call center industry? And as we discussed earlier, no one wakes up one day and says, I'm going to run, own a call center. That's true. So walk me through. How did this even happen? Well, my true story is I was roughly 22, 23 years old working in a call center. I did some marketing initiatives in the beauty and health industry. I was working for a $50 million organization and working directly with the founder of that company. I was called into a meeting and not getting into all the details, was asked my honest opinion about a product line. I gave it to her and it was opposite of what she really thought that she wanted to hear. So that she really didn't want your opinion. Ultimately, in the end, that's as it, as it turns out, correct. That's accurate. Um, I didn't know that at the time, though. I thought I was just giving my honest opinion. With that said, I must have missed her cues of giving me my opinion. Um, I This caused not an argument, so to say, but a discussion behind closed door to ensue. At the end of that discussion, I was asked to leave. So I had been fired from this job that I've given four years of my life to while raising two small children. I was devastated. I love this company. I looked up to this woman. She really was an inspiration for me. And I just determined that day as I was walking to the parking lot, not the way that I'm going to do things. I'm going to change the call center environment. I'm going to create my own company. I'm going to treat my people fairly. I'm going to let them have a voice, make sure that they feel valued. And literally within a very short period of time, we launched uh, the at-home business, which was a virtual call center. So was it really a, I can do this better? Or was there that moment in time where you decided, you know what, I want to do this and I can do this really well. And I think this could be a future. Or do you think a byproduct of that moment where you're literally sitting there going, I'm giving you honest feedback. And it probably had been really good feedback because I mean, she obviously didn't like it. So when when you get out of that, was that a driver at all? It was definitely a driver for me. Um, I'm a fairly determined, self-driven human being. And I think anybody that enters into this space, being a call center, an entrepreneur, all of us, we do, we're self-driven and motivated by weird and odd things. For example, I, I call myself and most of the entrepreneurs um, that I know today consider themselves, quote unquote, unemployable. And I think that's just because we're so self-driven that it's very difficult for us, and if we're going to be honest, to take direction from others. And so I determined at that point, no more, I'm not taking direction from anyone else, I'm going to run my own show. Um, I've grown up a lot since then. Don't get me wrong. A lot of things to learn. And I definitely see. <laughs> humbling experiences, I'm sure. Humbling, many. There's too many to count. 
but um, I've learned from them. But that was the kind of the fire that lit me and ignited this desire to. Uh, I knew the call center well. I knew inside. I knew inside sales well. I knew that I had a gift for conversation, relationship building, and nurturing. So I that's what, where we launched the company. Well, that's awesome. And, and you know, when you think about that, though, and you step back into the fact that this company you invested into. You're there, you're giving quality feedback, and all of a sudden now you have to sit there and go, you know what, I can do this. I can do it better, right? And so you take all these things you've learned and how to improve it. But I understand there's also a little interesting part of that story, the company that actually lets you go as part of your future. Oh, absolutely. So I'd love to kind of understand, walk me through that, because that's got to have a little bit of something to it for you, right? It's a beautiful end to the story. So what might have been seemed disastrous at the moment, I was devastated during that time. There was other steps that had to happen for me to actually launch the company. But moving forward from that moment up until launching the organization, I had worked for another company. um, When I said worked for them, my first client was another health and and beauty industry, $50 million company that was out of Chicago and another amazing um, family that owned and operated that gave me the experience in the first um, tap into my own organization. We hired other people from home. We did that for a long time. But when we rolled from an at-home business or a remote home at the pioneers of the the at-home agents, we rolled into a physical traditional call center in what we called the queue. Um, Seven years later, my second client was the first one that was my employer that had let me go. So I walked into her office and uh, picked up the phone, walked into her office, sat down, had a meeting. Not only was she forgiving of how this all turned out, but she was um, grown up also. And I think we're both humble. And she became my second client. That's pretty awesome. Because I think anytime in life when things don't go your way, there's always the idea that a door closes to open. And sure. in that moment, you don't look at it that way. A lot That's of times, right. many times we, out of fear or out of something going wrong, there's a sense of failure. How do you pick yourself up? So that self-driven aspect of what was really that fire underneath you, but also to get you to go back to where this all started and to make something out of that, that had to have been a win for you in some way, some sort of. It was huge. There's no question about it. I mean, these were my, my peers and my colleagues, people that I've known for all these years, people that I worked with for four straight years. Um, And I went back to the organization because I still had a high regard for the, the, previous the owner of the business the person who had ultimately fired me um but i think that she too knew that my intentions were very well founded that i had done a very good job for her that i was trustworthy human being in that relationship for the next 16 years so it's a really great end to a wonderful story um they're no longer business today um we had stopped doing business with them again 16 years so whatever that makes us now that's a really long run it's a long run it's a long run um it's unfortunate the way that the company wound up going out of business, but um, thrilled that we could be part of the, the years that we, through her growth. And we were a great partner to her and they in turn also were great partners to us. So again, great, great end to a story that well, could have been devastating. Yeah. And I mean, it's got to be a great catalyst for the future, right? For things yes. that proves that you could do things that aren't easy, things that actually were painful or hard for you and be able to conquer those things in those moments later on, I'm sure had to be a focus for you. So, you know, obviously um, we today live in an era that is driven in many ways by empowerment and also women's empowerment in the business and the shaping of the business. With that in mind, how has that been for you? And specifically, was it difficult? Are there any things then and even now that um, you've had to look towards or work with it? 
Are you talking about women being a woman in business? Yeah, absolutely. Women in business, but also being able to interact with women and men. And it's very, very much driven by outcomes. But at the same time, do you see or did you see any types of challenges or situations in which being a female, being in, a business. female in business, running a business? Yeah. And then I'm, well, running a business, just from the standpoint of being a wife and a mother, a mother of seven. At, when I started, I was a mother of a few. Um, I just I want to make sure I got that right. Seven. <laughs> seven. Mother of seven. Um, nothing. No too big of a challenge. You might wonder yeah. why my <laughs> podcast is go big or go broke. But um, yeah, I definitely have to go big in pretty much every area of my life. But no, I never really felt that for myself. I see it in sports. My children are in sports, both my boys and my girls are in sports. And I see the difference between how women are not necessarily treated, but maybe paid in the professional sports arena. I know that's an issue with women and pay and being uh, board members of major corporations, but specifically and individually to me, I've never felt that. Um, I know people are going to probably kick and scream at this, but I've walked into boardrooms. I've, I've had clients in fortune 500s. I've had clients of all industries, walks, and natures, and I've really never felt that. I never felt that there was a difference between me and the man sitting in the room, um, me and my position, and maybe that is because I have been a leader in my organization, so I was never looked on or upon in a different manner, but I recognize that it's there, and I try to empower as many women as humanly possible, and when we launched the company, one of the things that we wanted to do is make sure that we had a space for women who wanted to do what I did, which was both venture into their career and raise their children. So we gave them that, that opportunity from home when it was way before our time in this country, giving women an opportunity to do both, have a career and raise their children. So I'm very proud of that. I wasn't, it wasn't visible to me. And again, maybe because of my position or title, if you will. And um, that's a shame if that's true, but I recognize that that's probably true. Um, but we have given a lot of opportunity to women so that they can do both. Hopefully we're making strides in that area. I'm also a huge advocate for women in sports because I do recognize that that's true. And any way that I can help women when it comes to mentoring them, getting them through in life and making sure that they are able to accomplish their goals, um, knowing that they can have both. They can have it all, basically. I'm the perfect example that you can have it all. Yeah. So you had mentioned early on when you went to the virtual agent mm -hmm. um, that there were, uh, I think you had mentioned women that were actually being hired as well, that were stay at home or they work from home and work remote. So you had to migrate from an environment where you have a pool of people that may or may not have been able to work in a more centralized environment. When you moved from that environment to this environment, did you see a transition on who you were able to actually hire, who you were actually able to provide? Um, jobs to or well, do you think there was, was definitely I think well there's a difference I mean the more rural areas I think that we tapped into that more readily when indeed we were the pioneers so to say of the virtual or remote or at home call center um, working in the metropolitan Chicago area you, you, a whole diverse difference um, as far as the team we went from the at home model to a physical and traditional model so yeah there's going to be a difference these are women that actually want to be or can be or need to be working outside of the home. And we still do um, have the one-offs from here and there as far as people working out of their homes. But we found as we wanted to have aggressive growth, which we've challenged ourselves through year after year for these three, near three decades, that it was much more easier to manage and in physical traditional call center. Got it. The reason why I ask is today there are a lot of centers that are looking to 
adopt the virtual model yes. or expand in that model right. for a variety of reasons, right? Uh, but it was interesting how you started in that and then you found right. the other way. Uh, so of course, you, we did everything backwards. We do everything a little <laughs> bit different than the standard world. Yeah. Well, you know, it may have been backwards then, but maybe not now. Right. You know, maybe the, the, the way that you did it was what was needed at right. the time to get you where you're at now. So right. the idea of a virtual agent, is, is that still part of your business It model? is. As far as our growth, um, it's not on, so to say, a strategy today, but for our future and our heavier growth, which, of course, we're always modeling after the next step. I have some huge toggles, you might imagine. So part of our next phase of growth will be our at-home agents and remote agents. We just acquired an organization recently, and one of the wish, list is, wish list items for that team that we acquired as well is to, to get back to remote agents so that we can go back out into the rural areas so that we can take our techniques to our clients because they have homes for them. Maybe it's on their sites or in their backyards. So we're definitely considering that as the next phase growth. Well, that's awesome. So one of the things I, I have to ask is you work with your husband. I do. So walk me through that because <laughs> for many, you go to work and then you go home, yeah. right? So how does that work in the sense of working with your husband? And separately from that, obviously, how, how do you... How do you keep a, how do you keep keep a marriage together? <laughs> well, this is where my faith comes in. And I had mentioned that we might be talking about faith today. And I truly do, do believe that I have a great faith system. And because of that, my husband also sharing that great faith system in God and something bigger than ourselves. Number one, give him credit for keeping our relationship together and also giving us seven healthy and beautiful um, seven blessings. But we met each other working with each other. Really? When I was a teen in a fruit market, and we don't have to get into the gory details of that. But <laughs> Are you sure? That is how we met each other. And then um, as we grew, we got married and we had children. It was just something we both knew that we ultimately wanted to do for us and for our household. We wanted to be there for our children. We did not want to go to um, having our family take care of them during the day and then us come home at night and be weary and tired. We're going to be weary and tired anyway. We might as well do it ourselves. And so for <laughs> us, it worked out that way. So we would just rotate our schedules and we started the company. Um, my business partner and I started in 1991. We brought our husbands into the company when we went to the traditional call center really? in 1997. So that's wow. when they entered in. Since then, he, uh, her husband, my partner's husband, has exited the company. Uh, my husband has stayed involved and it's just worked out. It's just been a great blessing. Well, that's awesome because yeah. uh, obviously there's there's a lot of situations I can just imagine. It's like, do you get bored? Do I, do we I don't talk a lot about work, believe it or not. <laughs> my business partner will come home and say, did you guys talk about this or didn't you talk about that? No, actually, we kind of avoid the whole business thing if we can, unless there's something really huge that we have to get in important we have to get on that. Well, well, it's interesting because a lot of people, when they get home, all of a sudden what they're doing is they're talking about work. You yes. know, how is your work? It's like, we well, tend not, to not try to not, not do that. Yeah. Now you can go home and you're yeah. like, well, we already dealt with work yeah. when we left work. So now yeah. we can deal with the home stuff. So you can just yeah. skip that step. So might as well just exactly. go through there. So in, in your life and your career so far, are there any like major things that you think impacted what you've done and how you've aspired to be. So if there's, you know, I don't know, three things, two things that really jump out at you. Is there anything that drives that? Um, yes. Wasting a lot of money. Um, a lot. I think, no, truly though, seriously, when you um, take a look back at some of your failures and I hate the word failure, we'll call them mistakes. And I like to think of them as more educational moments in time. Uh, when you spend a lot of money on those mistakes it has you reflect on what you can do differently and better. So learn from your mistakes. The most costly ones are the biggest lessons. 
also know that when things are difficult, we talked a little bit about this um, before the show, when things are difficult, it's probably worth doing. Nobel Biz's trusted caller ID is the latest breakthrough in outbound calling technology, allowing you to register your numbers with the carrier ecosystem while reducing the probability of call blocking and mislabeling. Our team promises to go through your numbers to make sure they are fully compliant, and we keep our promises. Visit NobelBiz.com for more information. So when you can face your fear and walk through it, sometimes you have to fight through it, um, work through your fears. Don't let that stop you. I have a, a saying, it's, you know, I'm ha- a hashtag no quit in me. I teach that mm-hmm. to my children. We cannot say the can't or cannot word in my house. It's banned. So having the mentality, the understanding that there isn't really anything you cannot do, that you're not limited by anything or anyone, that you have creative gift and power from something bigger than yourself to walk in all of that. So that's kind of my, you know, my go-to. So it's interesting you said, you know, spending a lot of money on things that didn't pan out, right? Mm -hmm. So that can make people shy of making decisions, Absolutely. Because that failure in their mind is, is, you know, if you learn from it, then it's not a failure, right? Right. Because now you're just getting one step closer to the right answer. Right. Because uh, eventually, if you're not really good with decisions, you've gone through plenty of bad choices. You really haven't failed if you don't quit. Right, exactly. So from that perspective, when you look at that piece as a business, how do you sit there and go, it's worth right. that pain and struggle to go and make a good decision, right. but at the same time, the last you one have you made cost you a lot of money. Yeah, exactly right. So you have to be a risk taker, and my family will tell you I'm probably the biggest risk taker they know because I sleep very well at night, even through stressful moments and times. Okay, well, that's a whole nother podcast we're going to have to go through because <laughs> right. I think a lot of people need that yeah, answer. Yeah, it's true. But it's a confidence issue also. I think that when you're confident in your own ability and your team's ability, and it's much bigger to believe in your team than yourself, but you start out believing in yourself and then it becomes a time, there comes a time where you not only get mentorship and coaching then you take lead from your team and you give them that same space and then you let them go and run with it. When you believe and have faith and you trust in your team, then the confidence builds not only for yourself, but now for your team. And it's it's just this momentum that keeps on growing. It's a mountain of continuous confidence. So I know that there's a risk that we can lose money. I know that. It doesn't stop me from acquiring. It doesn't stop me from accomplishing. I just have this innate ability to know that we're going to get through it. We'll make things work and we'll find a way. But obviously you don't do it blindly, right? There's no, obviously, yeah. like it's, you had there's, mentioned, there's, there's calculations you know, behind there, there's, all there's, that. There's yeah. learning, there's yes. continuous education, there are right. things that embedder yourself to be able to sit there and say, hey, absolutely, this is a better decision than the last time. You you're talking to people, you're doing things to be able to get you forward. Sure. So it's not like everyone innately just makes good decisions. No, right? absolutely not. As a matter of fact, you're going to make more bad decisions in your entire life if, you really, if you're really being honest with yourself than you are good ones when it comes to being an entrepreneur. But surround yourself with people who have been there. Don't don't repeat the mistakes of other. Figure out and talk to people that have walked the path, that straight and narrow, that have accomplished what you're looking to accomplish. Go to them and then hire the people around you. Always hire up. So if you lose an employee, don't just replace them for that hole. Fill that hole plus two, plus 10, times 10. Always, you know, hire up. Um, do the same thing for yourself. If you knew this yesterday and you know that today, make sure tomorrow you're learning a little bit better. 
So if you're constantly evolving, you're constantly learning, you're constantly hiring up, you're constantly being mentored, you're constantly being coached. It's really hard to lose when you're constantly doing something productive and chiseling away in a positive growth mode all the time. Yeah, and I think surrounding yourself with people that are better than you in the areas that you may not be as good at and being in a position where you know that you're not the best at everything. That's right. And always, like you said, hiring up. When you surround yourself with people that are really good at what they do, I think it improves everybody. It absolutely does. And then it becomes exponential. Right. Everything is not linear at that point. Everything now can substantially grow. But with that growth and substantial, you have seven kids. I do. Okay. If we're going to dive into that, you have to go, how do you balance seven children and a business? Absolutely. Well, I think the first thing you do is know going into this that you're not really going to balance it. Sort of. Um, okay. And there's always sort of, because there's, there's so many books out there and authors are going to be screaming at me saying, of course, there's balance, there's balance in everything. And I've sold millions of dollars in books and there really isn't. I, you know, when I go home at night, sure. Do I make time for either cooking or cleaning or a meal with my kids? Sometimes, sometimes it's straight to the soccer mom hat and off to trainings, whether that's uh, child number five, six or seven, because I still have three at home. One, two still in college, but they're on their own. And then two married, one with a a new grandson. Um, But it's, there's not really balance. It's just a matter of prioritizing. And every day is different. If you choose to be an entrepreneur, you have to know the game is kind of, you have to go with the flow. You need to stay organized, extremely organized. The more organized you are, great. But you also have to stay more flexible because your days will change. You'll have a podcast interview and then you'll have a meeting you need to be at and then you'll have a meeting that might crash or something might be burning and you have to put out a fire. Or no. You know, some kid has to be somewhere or you get a phone call from school and you have to cancel all of that and there's 10 feet of snow and it's just the name of the game. You just have to kind of juggle. You have to prioritize. You have to stay organized and you have to be okay with kind of going where you need to go when you need to go. Well, I was going to say when you mentioned the word fire and I'm thinking about your business and call center world, there's never fires in our call center world. <laughs> Hopefully not physically. Yeah. No, not literally. Uh, I know a couple of stories that that was indeed true. And, oh, actually, that was true of ours. I take that back. When we were moving in this building, we did have a fire in our old building. That was a tragedy, but it really? did work out. Yes. Long wow. story short, that worked out. Thank God. Um, so it does happen. But um, yeah, there's lots of things to put out all the time in a call center. When you're dealing with humans, there's so much more activity than you could ever dream to know. Oh, I can imagine. And especially as you mentioned, you're gathering people from all walks of life, from all different ways, and you're all putting them in a room together. Exactly. And then on top of that, you're managing the things that happen and the things you can't control. And then on top of that, life happens. Your family needs what they need. So I was going to ask you what a day in the life of that (laughs) looks like, but it sounds like it's it flexible. depends on the day. Yeah, you got to be flexible. But overall, overarching day in my life, the day in the life of Kathy Carabetos is waking up, um, reading, um, getting children off to school on buses after breakfast and coffee with the husband. And then it's planning out the day. I can look at the calendar. Where do I need to be? Where does he need to be? Which direction we need to go and plan for? And then getting off to doing it, accomplishing what we need to accomplish, and then starting all over again after school. And then hit reset. Exactly. Right. So. Obviously, go big and go broke. Go big or go broke. How, how did that come about? 
came about a little bit over a year and a half ago. I was um, talking to a peer and I, who I met actually through social media because I had started dabbling, so to say, in social media over the last couple of years. And I've met some phenomenal, not only clients, but friends. I, I'm more close with some of the people I've met over social media in the last three or four years than I have with a lot of close friends. Wow. So it's intriguing. But this one gentleman had said to me, you know, what's your story? Basically how we're sitting down talking today. And I shared the story with him and I shared, you know, what positive impact I felt that I could have or wanted to have or how much more I wanted to do in life. And he said, you have an amazing story. You came out as a female hiring other females and males from home, giving parents an opportunity to do this type of thing and feed their families. He said, it's a big challenge. He said, people need to hear that you can do this because you've been successful at, so to say, juggling it all, keeping a marriage, raising seven children growing your company consistently over near three decades. He goes, yeah, this is a message that people need to hear. And I never really thought about it that way. I'm, I'm, I tend to believe, even though I'm a very outgoing, maybe outspoken, passionate person, tend to feel a little bit more humble. And I think that's kind of a false sense of humility that you don't need to share your story, let people notice you, be kind of quiet from the scenes. Um, people will see your light shining just from being yourself. And he said, but what if you could impact thousands or maybe millions? by telling your story. And I said, you know what, you really hit me in the heart on that one. And that's where we launched the podcast. It was all about at that point, teaching others they can do that too, whether it's emulating what I've done or me giving tips on how I was able to manage it or helping them to think through how can they do go big. Well, considering when you talk about going big and there's obviously a lot of things you learn from all the different people Always. that have gone big or gone broke. Mm -hmm. Any key takeaways, any major things that you've learned from some of these people that have made it big or gone broke that allows you to absorb, absorb yeah. that into your life or your business? Well, you know, the first thing that I, I realized when I named the show Go Big or Go Broke, um, it could be a little skewed. I'm, I've considered changing it to just simply going big because the broke side of it could have a negative connotation. I've, and then I thought, no, leave it the way that it is. But going big for, for somebody yourself included is different than my going big. So I recognize that it could be financially, it could be in business, it could be spiritually, it could be being a parent, being the best darn at-home mom or at-home dad, and that's their going big, all equally important. My big is not more important than somebody else's big. So I've learned that. That was a great, really quick lesson that I've learned. Um, people, it's not about money. For me, it's not about money. It's obviously I want to be comfortable. I'd love to have enough cash to help as many people as humanly possible. That's why I do what I do so that we can afford people to have a job and they can put food on their tables, a shelter and clothes to, to house themselves and close themselves is a really big calling that I feel like I'm challenged with. Um, but I've recognized and I've learned that going big or going broke is completely different for, for every single human. So what's between the two, what's easier? Going big or going broke? Yeah. Well, I think going big is bigger. I mean, it's easier. Going broke is harder, but it's also a decision because you can't be broke forever if you don't quit. And that means physically, spiritually, financially. If you quit on yourself, if you quit on your family, if you quit on anything, you could be broke. But if you don't quit, you're not broke. It's just maybe empty a little bit more than you like to be the comfort zone. You're not there yet. But um, and hopefully the show helps people to challenge themselves through maybe being a little bit half glass empty to half glass full.
So you said that everyone's big is different. Totally. Right? I believe that people don't, especially youth. I don't think a lot of the youth today knows where they want to go. And I don't think they recognize the enormity of uh, their creation and what they're created to become. It's, I'm still evolving and I'm, I'm going to be 53 this year. So I don't expect that everyone knows or wants or desires to go big in any of those realms. And that's okay too, because that's a decision. But um, if I can impact anybody to find their passion, that's my goal. That's awesome. And I think it's true that a lot of times not knowing, because for a lot of people, they impose other people's bigs as their big. Right. And so what will happen is you're following something that maybe isn't really going to fulfill right. your peace. And so for you, you have the things in your business and your family and your faith that you use that are your bigs or the drivers Absolutely. of your everyday life. Whereas for somebody else, like you said, it could be be the first in their family to graduate from college. Yes. It could be someone who can learn a new language, someone who wants to be that better Absolutely. stay at home uh, parent. And so in those scenarios, I think the first part is having a goal, right? Absolutely. Being able to find that piece you want to get to, then you can work towards it. It's very hard to look for the needle in the haystack if you don't know you're looking for a needle. That's exactly right. right. You may accidentally hit it, but yeah. it's unlikely. So I think finding that is really important. So are there any things that you could give as advice or recommend or seen that other people have had to find their own sure. big? I think that sometimes it's just quieting yourself. I have children that still don't know which direction they don't necessarily want to go to in their future. So I can use my own household as a perfect example. First of all, not to apply pressure on them and having them and talking them off of applying their own pressure. I did not choose my career. This career chose me. And I have to remember that. And I have to remember to teach that, to preach that, to speak that, to show that. We don't necessarily decide one day, aha, it's my aha moment. That's what I want to do. And then it turns out that that's your big in life. It might be that you get that aha moment. You don't want to do that. And that road takes you in 12 different directions. And then you arrive there. The journey is really and truly now reflecting now that I'm over a half a century years on this earth. It has to be about enjoying the journey. So when you're young, enjoy that. When you become a wife or a spouse, enjoy that. When you become a parent, it will be gone before you know it. When you become a business owner, enjoy that. When you have difficulties, enjoy that. Waking up grateful is big in and of itself. Everyone is enough in and of themselves. It's not an epiphany for most people. It doesn't just happen overnight. Is there drive and determination that helps those things? I believe that to be true. But I also believe that you can train yourself for drive and ambition and all those things. Be okay where you're at. Be, enjoy the ride. Be grateful where you're at. And then keep on learning, the self-discovering and figuring it out. And enjoy the journey. Are you stuck in a contract with your telecom provider? Need new contact center solutions or a carrier? Noble Biz is the leading innovator in the contact center industry since 1998. From world-class productivity and compliance solutions to our dedicated customer support and service, NobleBiz does it all. And if you sign up with us, it won't cost you a dime more than you're currently paying today. If we don't deliver, then we don't deserve your business. You know, I hear a lot of parallels of um, being in the moment. Yes. Being able to participate what's in front of you because then it's going to pass you by. That's right. Right. And so with that in mind, that sense of combination of mindfulness and being able to be in the moment, it seems that a lot of people are just looking at the end Always. and they're not looking at the journey. So from the business mm -hmm. perspective, as I think we've all said, no one woke up and said, 
I'm going to own a call center. That's right. I'm going to run a call center. But I think when we get back to what you've learned and we've talked about that experience you wanted to provide for customers, right? I think we leave the idea of it being a call center because really, it's really not yeah. a call center, right? This business is driving outcomes for other companies and how they interact with Absolutely. people, right? So walk me through a little bit of when it comes to the things you've learned from the podcast, things you learned from the business, from customer support, customer service, things that you see in the industry are driving sure. what's going to be the future. Oh, what are you seeing in this I space? love that. So driving me and the future of the context center, the call center, and frankly, business at large, first of all, brands are now becoming personal brands. And why is that? Because we love humans. Why is that? Because we have an innate ability to love or we need to be loved. Um, I know that sounds kind of cliche and a little bit off the charts when it comes to business, but we founded this company off of nurturing relationships. And we've also seen it cyclical. We've come to all these bells and the whistles and the tools and the omni-channel and SMS texting and emailing. And then cold calling is dead and emails and dead. And now we're going to chat and we're doing all these other forms of communication, which is necessary. But I knew it then and I know it more today. There is no way we're ever getting away from one-on-one, -on -one, human to human interaction. As a matter of fact, I believe I coined H to H. I'm grabbing that one. It's now out there in the general world, and I don't know who's coined it, but I take it because I've told my husband that for many, many years. Human to human is never going away, and that's our future. We're going to have AI. We're all going to augment all of our marketing activities and initiatives. All of our campaigns are going to have a, a dash of this and a sprinkle of that and a tool with that and a bell and whistle of that, but it's never going to change. We're going to be innately desiring of human connection, first and foremost face-to-face, Second best is going to be voice to voice and or Zoom to Zoom or online to online. But when you can actually look somebody in the eyes or in a contact center, you'll be able to do that and or hear their voice, their, their tone, their voice fluctuation, their responses, their desire, their empathy and their tone. That's where it's at. So the call centers are not going away. The contact centers are not going, to, going away. Sure, they're going to evolve. But I see that that is going to be our future, and the future looks extremely bright for our call center industry. Well, it's exciting to hear that because for the longest time, when people think of, oh, I got to call a call center, it's very rarely close to or above talking to a car salesperson. Right? Oh, There's yeah. a sense of pain, the sense of, sure. oh, I have to do this now, right? Absolutely. I'm forced to do something. Right. It normally doesn't come with the byproduct of, well, that was helpful. Yes. Oh, that was useful. No. I'm leaving this situation feeling great. So some of it, I think, as we've discussed, is uh, being able to use the technology in a way where you can encourage and enable that human-to-human -human interaction. If it's not a transactional interaction, right? Because there's obviously self-service expectations of when it's convenient to me, when I want to do it. But I think in those interactions where it requires another person, it's being able to make sure you're able to get them to get to the point because sure. it feels like there's a lot of fluff, right? You got to go through a lot of things to get to a person, right. to the right person, right. the person that's actually good at what they do. Are they well suited for what you need them for? So I think businesses, right? Yeah. They require those 
and that's what you deliver for them. Absolutely. And it, it's not only on the inbound because obviously that's key and it's very important. Any product or service driven organization needs humans to take care of their humans, the people that are paying for their product or their service. So they have to take care of their inside customers and their outside customers. And we do that also. But it's also on the outbound side of things. You know, people said for the longest time that the call center is dead in that appointment setting lead generation for the teams nationwide or globally speaking. You're not going to make outbound calls. Nobody's picking up the phone anymore. Well, kind of uh, liken it to direct mail. Direct mail had its heyday. It went away. It went to literally virtually nothing. And it is making an enormous comeback right now because people are still trying to get the attention of a one-on-one environment. What better than to enter their home where nobody else is bugging them, maybe than another few residual marketers that got into their mailbox. Same thing with email marketing. You'll notice over the last 10, maybe 15 years, email marketing was on the decline, the open rates, the click-through rates, and whether that was coming off of a, a handheld device or a desktop, and it's all making a rebound right now. So you see this from the biggest and largest digital companies in the world. So yes, you do need to augment, you do need to add to, you need to add AI. All these things are things that you should be using, but we're never going to be losing the one-on-one connection. So I see the call center is probably the biggest strength in the marketing arena than it's ever been, and it's going to get stronger. So for those who say that outbound is dead, making a call to somebody uh, who isn't already expecting the call, mm-hmm. they're waiting for your call, you've obviously stated that's not the case. It they is need not to case. do it. And I can't imagine any business uh, truly never having to do that at any time for any reason. Correct. And so that's your expertise is being able to enable that part as well for businesses that obviously need to grow. That's right. So what other marketing medium could you say that if you make X number of calls, you're going to reach X number of people, you're going to convert X number of those people into X number of leads or appointments or revenue for that matter? There's really no other marketing medium that you can say that. So it's not going away. It's probably not the most inexpensive piece, but overall, as long as the return is there and it makes financial sense for your organization, it's something that every company should be working on. Well, I can completely agree that right now where you're meeting the consumer, there's a lot of noise they go through. There's a lot of things that you had mentioned, everything from direct mail to marketing, advertising pieces they get, radio, TV, they obviously have consumption through phone calls and things of that nature. So you being able to be an expert in that space and be able to cater to companies small and large, I would assume. Absolutely. From the Fortune 100 all the way down to an independent operator or an entrepreneur. So when you work for a Fortune company versus a smaller company, do you see the dynamic of where they meet you, where you meet them, and being able to actually engage in delivering services are vastly different? I just think that it's more education. So the Fortune 100 will use tools like AI or their data sets that they're preparing and sending and, and sending to the call center, their partners in call center. So I will be one of many partners that they engage with. But the data set, it's so transparent as far as who their targets are, their avatars, their customers. Um, we know so much more about them going into those calls so we can be so much more effective. So they can say they could take off the shelf their training module and hand it over to a call center partner like myself. And we can help build upon that to make it even better and more dynamic um, in ways that maybe each individual call center has their own experience, whether that's industry related or title. Um, there's all different reasons why different call centers might be more prepared or more apt for a particular industry. 
but um, we do things a lot better. And of course, having that training module that they, they could take off and prepare for us. So there's just an education piece. But on the, the companies that are either funded or companies that are growing up and they're in growth mode, they want to obviously engage with the call center as a partner on the onset. Again, shopping using one wisely and based on industry experience. But everyone certainly can use one. It's just a matter of being prepared and understanding how to shop for those services. So it sounds like for the bigger players, it's more of how to enhance and optimize what they're looking yeah. to achieve with what they have. And those that may not realize they need one or those that do but don't know where to start, there's a lot of education. There's a lot of being able to drive that business so it can grow exponentially. Absolutely. So when we we look at that and we, we, we flip the script to being able to go back to, I guess, mindfulness and things that you have to look at and do are there any particular things that you do to be in the moment to keep you grounded in all of the stuff that you do specifically when it comes to in the business sure. obviously you talked about family business yes yeah. I, I think the most mindfulness as far as being in a labor um intense business first of all results driven so the mindfulness has ought must be and and people say this with grain of salt. I'm always concerned about the customer. We're a customer centric um, facility or it's center. A it's a buzzword. If you can actually say that you know your customers intimately, you're you're charged with X, Y, or Z results and you're hitting them or exceeding them on a, a near regular basis, then I could agree with you. But the mindfulness is always about the customer's results and also staying in front of the customer. And when I say staying in front of the customer, I don't mean annoying the customer. I mean actually getting to know them like we're engaging today, understanding what makes them tick, where do they come from, what's their family, um, knowing the person that is employing you intimately as much as you possibly can in a professional setting is goes goes far beyond anything else. Again, because innately we want to be connected in that way, and then applying those results. So being mindful of results and actual the human behind those decisions is really. So if you had to give one piece of advice to other managers, leaders, owners of businesses to be able to engage in mindfulness and to be able to impart that on their team so they can get to those goals, what would it be? Get to know, really know, take the time, expend the resources to know and stay in front of and engage with your target clients. Don't spread yourself too thin. Make sure that um, they feel important, that they feel valued, and not because they're, they're paying your paycheck, because you actually deeply and sincerely care about what it is that you do for them. Well, that was moving. I mean, it's, it's true that I think a lot of times everything is very transactional. Yeah. We don't really look at it. We just look at the next thing coming exactly. and to stop and be in that moment and actually care. Yeah. Because everyone says, I care. Right. But they don't you really have, show exactly. that they actually And if you're care. not showing it, you really don't care. It's kind of like being a parent. If you're not spending time with your children and looking them face to face and working through their issues together or their concerns or their fears or their hopes or their dreams, but you're calling yourself a good parent, you could probably step it up a notch or two. Same thing in business. Let's not just talk about caring. Let's actually do the doing of caring. And then you're going to be surrounded with amazing raving fans. Talk versus act. Yeah. So Kathy, thanks so much for joining us today. Your insights and story are incredible. I mean, where can we find you on social media, on the web? 
You can find me at kathycarabetsis.com. Our company is qcssinc.com. I am on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Okay, maybe I should ask, where are you not? <laughs> I think that's pretty much covering all <laughs> social. <laughs> well, awesome. Thanks so much. And if you like what you're hearing, hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Check out our YouTube channel for exclusive uh, clips. Like us, rate us, review us, tell your friends, maybe even your family. Thanks for listening to First Contact Stories of the Call Center with me. See you next time. This podcast has been hosted by me, Christian Montez, produced, written, and edited by Lauren Chasson with co-executive producers Steve Peterman, Lauren Chasson, and Christian Montez.